concluding our series, What Makes a Village? And so we've been talking about over the past few weeks some of the things that we are committed to as a church. And today our focus is that we are going to be a church that is committed to share. And, you know, and, and, and you might share what? Well, well, to share who Jesus is. Because our belief is that Jesus is one who changes a person's life, that Jesus is one who can radically transform your life, he can restore you, he can forgive you, he can provide you with hope. Now, the thing is, for us to do that, a lot of times we have to be motivated to do that. And there is no doubt that motivation is a powerful tool. Um, I was reading a story about a guy named Bob, and his name's Bob Kuchenberg. He played football for the Miami Dolphins. And somebody asked him, they said, how are you, you know, how is it that you got to college? What was your decision in being able to come to college? He said, well, as you all know, he said, I grew up in a family that were circus performers. Uh, his dad and his uncle were human cannonballs. I don't know where do you go to school for that, but they were human cannonballs. And his dad came to him and said, he said, listen, Bob, he said, either you are going to grow up and be a human cannonball like me, or you're going to go to college. He said, well, I thought human cannonballs were kind of cool. I mean, who wouldn't think that's pretty neat to be shot out of a cannon? He said, so uh, he thought about that, and he said he went to, the, went to the circus one night, and his uncle was shot out of the cannon, and he missed the net and hit the Ferris wheel. Now, that'd be kind of fun to see, but he said after that, he said, I was motivated that I was going to go to college. Now, all of us know that motivation is something that's very important in our lives, um, James is not here, and I, I've been, uh, the, 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 our lead singer, our music guy, and he has really done an incredible uh, work at being involved in CrossFit. Now, I'm not doing a CrossFit commercial. And just because uh, I'm curious, how many of y'all have ever done CrossFit? If you just raise your hand. Okay, so y'all are the people we all hate. All right, so y'all have done some CrossFit before. Now, y'all are familiar with it. They have this, their own little language and uh, they talk about, you know, there's a wad. I don't know what that means, but I know on the back of James's car, if y'all have ever seen it, it says wad killer. So that just cracks me up. Every time I come to work, I'm like, what does that even mean? But anyway, so James is motivated to go to CrossFit. And because his goal is to eventually one day look like me. And so he has a picture of me in the church bathroom on the mirror, and so he goes like five times a day. So anyway, we all know that motivation is something that is, you know, that's really important. And so whenever we are motivated to do things, we end up stretching many times far beyond what we ever thought that we could do. And so that makes me think of the church. Guys, our, our goal or our purpose is that we are to be a people who are committed to share. And then the question is, well, if we are going to be a church that is committed to share and to really be involved in our community and to tell people who Jesus is, you know, what is it that motivates me? Well, one thing that should motivate us is what Jesus tells us. I mean, Jesus is the one who told us that we are to share. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, 19. He said, therefore, go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And today in the scripture we're looking at, Jesus is going to share with us some things that should motivate us to share. And, and it's my hope that I will be able to share these motivations and encourage you as well, and encourage this church as well, that we will be a church that finds telling people who Jesus is to be something that's important. 
And so if you have your Bible, we're going to look in Luke chapter 10. We're only going to look at one verse today. We're going to look at verse number 2. So Luke chapter 10, verse number 2. If you want to, you can take your Bible. You can go ahead and turn there. And if you turn there, at this point, Jesus, uh, just a little background information. People knew who Jesus was at this time. I mean, if you read through Matthew, Mark, and before you get to Luke chapter 10, you're going to see that Jesus was this, I mean, he was an incredible teacher. As a matter of fact, there's one one scripture that talks about it, and they said people were drawn to Jesus because he taught as one who had authority. I mean, this guy knows what he's talking about. I mean, you read on, you discover that Jesus is healing people. I mean, which is is unbelievable. I mean, he's not just, he's not doing magic tricks, y'all. It's not David Blaine stuff. I mean, he's, there's dead people, and Jesus is raising them back up from the dead. Uh, there's people that are blind, and Jesus touches them, and all of a sudden they can see. Now, because of all these things, Jesus did not have a hard time getting a crowd. I mean, who wouldn't want to see stuff like that? And so there are, as you read through the Bible, you'll see that there's some instances where there are like crowds of Four to 5,000, some even guesstimate to 25,000 people coming just simply to see Jesus. But what's interesting to note is that Jesus, he wasn't just interested in drawing a crowd. He wanted more than that. Jesus desired for the crowd to do something. And, and I think about us and I think about churches. Guys, it, it is really cool when there's a lot of people gathered together. But let me tell you something. What's even bigger than that is when we gather together as a crowd and we decide we will do something. And do something big and important. Well, like what? Like sharing who Jesus is. In the previous verse, Jesus had sent out like 72 of his followers. He told them to go into the communities that were around them to prepare, to prepare the, the communities for his coming because Jesus was going to come in and he wanted them to be ready so that they would be prepared to receive what he had to say. And Villa Church, we have the same calling. We, we are to prepare people as a church to meet Jesus. That, you know, why are we here? You know, what are we doing? We are here to prepare people to meet Jesus like so many of us have. Because we know that when Jesus touches somebody's life, he changes them. You you cannot be touched by Jesus and stay the same. If you've really been touched by Jesus, you can't be touched by Jesus and be the same person you've always been. And so, so what should motivate us to share? Well, let me share with you a few things that we see in our text today, some things that should motivate us. The very first thing that should motivate us is Jesus said there is a harvest out there. We want to share because there is a harvest of people who are desperate to know who Jesus is, whether they know it or not. And look what Jesus said in verse number 2. It says, he told them the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Whenever I was in seminary, I was, uh, I was in eastern North Carolina. Emily and I were there. I always tell Emily, I said, if you had not married me, just think of all the great experiences you would have missed. We would not have lived in this little town in eastern North Carolina. It's a town of about 350 people. It was nowhere. I mean, nowhere. You had to drive, I'm not lying, you had to drive 10 miles to get gas. Um, It was a a great town, but they were about three years behind getting black and white television. 
I mean, I would not have been surprised if, like, Andy Griffith and Barney Fife would have walked in and told me they were the sheriff and deputy sheriff in the town. I mean, it was just like this, it was a throwback town. But it was a very big farming, it was a farming community. And so every spring, the, the, the farmers would go out, they'd, they'd plant peanuts, corn, tobacco, cotton. That's where Emily picked up her smoking habit. And so they planted all these different things. And after they got finished planting um, all those crops, that you said, well, were they done? You know, were they done with the work? Well, no, the rest of the time, they were, they were tending, they were watering, they were preparing. What do you think they were preparing for? The harvest. Now, why in the world would you plant everything and then just go, I'm done, and then just go, man, that's really cool how big that corn's gotten, and then not do anything about it? I mean, if they're going to make money, I mean, where they, where they make, their, make their profit is whenever the harvest actually comes. I guess that's, that's what Jesus is telling us here. Jesus is telling us there is a harvest of people out there. They have grown up. They are ready to be picked for Jesus. And our motivation should be able to look out into our world and see that there are people who need to know who he is. Now my fear though is that instead of looking out and seeing that there is a world out there, that there is a harvest out there, many of us don't even pay attention to that anymore. Now, now what's, the, what's the harvest for Village Church? The harvest for Village Church is really simple. The harvest for Village Church, it is people. You guys, there are people that need to know there's forgiveness. There's people that need to know that their life matters. There's people that need to know that God created them on purpose. That's why Jesus said there is a harvest out there in Village Church. That is what we are here to do. That's why we want to encourage people, uh, encourage believers to go out and our church to go out and to be a people who are also committed to service because I believe that whenever the world sees that we don't just talk all the time but that we actually go out and we do and we serve people because we say that we love Jesus, man, it opens up their hearts saying, you know what, there's something to what they're saying. They don't just talk but they also live. But the unfortunate thing is I really believe there's, there's many people who miss out on the joy of the harvest. Because we never go out looking to be a part of it. You know, the harvest is something that's sort of foreign to us now. And I think for, for most of us, I mean, I, I don't know many of you in here who are farmers today. You know, if we get hungry, you know, it's, if I get hungry for corn, it's not like I go, man, I, this, I'm going to plant a lot of corn this year. I mean, what do I do? I go to, well, I don't, but Emily goes to the grocery store, and she's here, so I have to be honest. So she goes to the grocery store, and she gets corn. You know, so we miss out on the whole harvest deal. So we don't have an, I think many of us don't have an appreciation for a harvest anymore. Who does? Well, it's the guy who plants the seed. It's the guy who cultivates the crop. It's the guy who moves it from, you know, from the field to your table. That guy understands. And he, he appreciates, he appreciates food more than, than, than we would. I'm, let me try to give you somewhat of an example of this. I, I probably get more enjoyment out of the, the numerous myriad of hobbies that I have out of fishing than anything else. I, I knew that I was, started, I was really enjoying fishing a lot whenever I started playing golf, bringing my fishing pole with me. And have you all noticed that golf courses like have the greatest ponds? And so, you know, I don't know if other golfers really appreciated it, but if I was waiting for somebody, I got my fishing pole out, and I'm just like, you know, throwing in there. That's not very professional or anything. But... In, in fishing, one thing I've also learned is I like to eat fish. Now, in our family, 
the one who enjoys the meal of fish more than anybody else typically is me. Because if I'm the one who caught it, I, got, I have a relationship with that fish. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying, let me tell you how I caught that thing. You know, I caught it on a topwater frog. And, you know, I just got, got all excited about it. And everybody else in the family is like, shut up, we don't care. And I, I, I have a relationship with that fish. So I appreciate the whole experience of eating it. Now, church family, if we're going to enjoy the harvest, you know how we can enjoy it? Is begin to look out and see people as people who need Jesus and then begin to invest our lives in their lives because we know that God can make something out of them. Now, you might look around and say, man, we live in Blythe. We live in South Carolina. Everybody in South Carolina is a Christian. Everybody in South Carolina goes to church. If you look in verse number two, Jesus said the harvest is abundant. Even here, there are people who need to know who Jesus is. My desire is for us to be a church that has a hunger to see more and more people come to know who God is. Because I tell you something, if we do that, if we begin to invest in people, and we begin to invite them into the church, and we begin to pray for them, that God will transform their, transform their lives. And as you begin to see that happen, it will excite you, and it will excite me. Now, that's what motivates me to want to be a person who shares. Jesus says it's the harvest. There's a harvest out there. Another motivating thing that should motivate us to share is this. There is a need. There's a need for workers. Uh, again, in verse number two, Jesus said this. He said, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus told these 70 guys who were getting ready to go out. He said, when you go out, understand this. There is a harvest out there. There's not very many workers. Because that, that is the challenge and the motivation for us. Our world, and I, we can just put it all down in a nutshell, we can talk about, you know, what's, what's wrong politically in our country. You know, we, we need this party in power or, or this party in power. You can go to all these different things. I mean, let me tell you what we really need. People need Jesus. People need Jesus. But here's the problem. Jesus said the workers few. Jesus told the 70 workers, said, you need to go out to these communities because there, are, there is an abundant harvest out there waiting. Now, I think it's interesting that Jesus decided who is going to take up the harvest. Who is, who is responsible for the harvest? It's, it's us. Jesus is telling his disciples here, he says, go out because the harvest is plentiful or it's abundant, but the workers are few. You and I are responsible for the harvest. Now, if you don't harvest something, if you plant, plant a bunch of corn, you watch it grow up, and then you never harvest it, what happens to the corn? You know, it, it, it withers away, or other animals come along and eat it. Same thing's true with people. Same thing happens with people. There's a harvest out there, but if they don't hear about Jesus and as they grow up, something else is going to steal them away from God. We're told this in Romans 10, 14, and 15. How then can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? My fear is that many of us have lost sight of the fact that there's a harvest out there. We don't even, we don't even see it anymore. An example of this is every mainline Christian denomination in America is plateaued or in decline. Now that's amazing to me. 
Not two or three. Every single one. Now, why is that? I think it's real simple. That's because we've lost sight of the harvest. We've lost sight of our mission. Guys, let me tell you something. The, the harvest is still out there, but my fear is that many of us, instead, we, we don't look at the harvest anymore. We just simply look at ourselves, and you know, we're trying to protect ourselves, or we're trying to keep everything on the inside, and so we've become very insular, and the world is dying for something real. The world is dying for, 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 for to know, just simply to know that there is a God who cares, that there's a God who can change somebody's life. Now, I'm going to be real honest with you here. I don't have a whole lot of confidence that a whole lot of people or a whole lot of different religious groups are all of a sudden going to begin to see that there's a harvest out there. And so that's why I think, it's, I think, I think that's why it's so important that people like, like you and like me, if we're going to see change, if we're going to see lives impacted, if we're going to see people changed by the power of God, it's going to require you and me reaching out, going to people, telling them about Jesus. Guys, if our neighborhoods and this community is going to change, it's going to happen, it's going to change because of us. I think what happens, though, is that sometimes we get kind of nervous about doing that. We don't want people to think we're strange. You know, what if I get rejected? I don't want people to think I'm weird. Can I really trust what God says? You know, there's an old story about a guy who's getting ready. He's back in the 1800s. He, was, he had to cross over the Mississippi River to get to, the, to get to the other side to get home. And it was getting late. He needed to hurry up. It was iced over. And he was scared. I don't know how, you know, if this, if this is solid enough for me to get across. And so he begins to crawl across. He gets on hands and knees, and he's just sort of inching along. He finally gets halfway across when he hears a guy behind him singing, riding a horse with a cartload of coal flying right down the river. And here's this guy, he's, he's worried that he can't trust in the ice when the entire time, he didn't have to crawl, everything was going to be fine. Now, and sometimes we are like that with God. We don't know how much we can really trust what God says. Can I really make a difference? Is his word really true? Does he really change people's lives? And so we sort of creep along on the promises of God. And God say, man, just trust what I say. And I can change the world through you. Now what should motivate us? Well, first motivation is there's a harvest. There's a need for workers. And that's the last thing I want you to see. Final motivation is this one. God provides. Yeah, God will provide. Verse number two says, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send his workers out into the harvest. Now, you might look at verse number two and say, I don't see anywhere in there where it says that God says he'll provide. Well, what it does say, it says that we are to pray to the Lord of the harvest, that he will send out his workers into the harvest. That is a command, actually. So God's saying, I command you to go out to the harvest. And guys, let me tell you something. When God commands us to do something, God will always enable us to fulfill what he tells us to do. Now, this doesn't mean that if you say, I'm going to get on board here, and I'm going to do that, that everybody's going to respond to you positively. You know, it doesn't mean that, hey, if I, if I invite somebody to church, that everybody's going to say yes. Or if I tell somebody how Jesus has changed my life, that it's going to impact their lives. Did you know that there are some people that aren't going to care? There are going to be some people who will reject you. And you know, it's always interesting to me that sometimes we get shocked about that. Like, I can't believe they would do that. I can't believe somebody wouldn't even want to hear me out on this. 
And for some, I, for some reason, we forget what the Bible says. You know, we've, did, you, did you know that not everybody responded to Jesus? Yeah, so we'd be shocked if people wouldn't respond to us. I mean, some people were kind of angry at Jesus. I mean, they, they put him on a cross. But, here, but here's the good news for you. If you are obedient to what Jesus says, to go out into the fields and to begin to work with people and to share with people, did you know there will, there will be some who will respond? There will be some who will respond. Now, you might be nervous about it. I don't know really what to say. Did you know that's always been true? You're not the, we're not the only people that get nervous about what other people might think. Uh, the Bible tells us this. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 19 through 20, he said, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. He said, at that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Jesus said, just be obedient to me. He said, I'll even give you the words to say. Now the question is, will you trust him? You know, if we trust him, as God keeps his word. God is just simply calling you to obedience, to be faithful to him and to trust him. Village Church, let me tell you something. That, that has been the testimony of this church for a long time. You've been faithful. You've prayed for people. You've shared Jesus with people. You've invited people to church, and lives have been changed. But we're not done. It requires us to continue to be faithful. One of my favorite stories on faithfulness is there's a Christian author. His name's Norman Geisler. And Norman Geisler, he's, a, he's an old man now, but he uh, talked about where he grew up. So where I grew up, he said, I did, I did not grow up in church, so my, pa- my parents didn't go to church. He said, the only way I could go to church was that we had this, uh, we had this church bus that would come through our neighborhood. This, some of y'all might remember the days whenever churches would send out buses to pick up kids. And he said, when I was nine years old, the church bus came by, and I started riding the bus to church. He said, I rode that bus every Sunday from the age of nine till I was 17. He said, I figured it out. He said, it's 400 Sundays. He said, in 400 Sundays, he said, I had the same bus driver every time. He says, I thought about that. I thought, what if he would have decided, you know what? After 399 Sundays, yeah, I'm done. Yeah, I'm tired of these little gripey kids. I'm not picking them up anymore. He says, I thought about that. I began to realize, if he hadn't have come that last Sunday, he said, there's a chance I might not have ever Come to know who Jesus was. He said, my testimony is I am thankful for that bus driver who continued to be faithful. Bill Church, that's our calling. For some people, it might take us inviting them 400 times. You might drive them nuts. But it might take 400 times before the harvest comes in. Now that encourages me. And so with that in mind, I, my, my hope is that every time I come here on Sunday, every time that you come here on Sunday, that you will come here expecting that God's going to do something. That you will come here expecting that God will change somebody's life today. And if we believe that, then that should encourage us to invite people that we know who are struggling, who don't know God, to come here. Because it very well could be this will be the day when somebody's life will be changed. Man, we have some great motivations. Our church said we will have a commitment to share. And we want to have a commitment to share because Jesus tells us very simply, he says there's a harvest, there's a need for workers, this is and God will provide. Guys, as I think about that, I think, man, how cool will it be years from now when there are people all over Blythewood and Northeast Columbia who have godly families, who serve who were great citizens, and they'll be able to point back to years ago, and they say, you know what, there were some people 
who invested in me in Blythewood at this church on Reimer Pond Road, and it changed my life forever. That motivates me. And my prayer is that it will continue to motivate you as well. Because God has a calling for this church to be a church that will share.